The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. So why are the Indianapolis Colts a three-point favorite tomorrow over the Washington Commanders, considering that Indy just benched their starting quarterback to go with a guy who's never thrown a pass in an NFL game? Not one NFL pass in an NFL regular season game. And by the way, was third string two weeks ago. What are we missing? What do the odds makers see that we don't see. I will give you a couple of stabs at an answer coming up in a moment. This show today is brought to you by my good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag for all of your sports betting needs. Use my promo code KevinDC. They'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks, And they've got everything you need for what might be the biggest boxing pay-per-view event of the year tonight. Jake Paul and Anderson Silva. Uh, mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Uh, that's mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. Uh, Cooley coming up in moments. Zach Kiefer, who covers the Colts for the Athletic, he'll jump on after Cooley. And Tim Murray and I will talk uh, some sports betting, some college football, and I'll have my smell test in the final segment of the show. So why is Indy still, as of this early Saturday morning, still a three-point favorite? Why? Uh, I think it's really easy. There are a few things I'm going to tell you, but I think more than anything else, they think the two teams are dead even and that Indy having home field advantage is the only difference. That's it, simply put. They think these two teams, if they were to play on a neutral field, it's a coin flip game. So why do they think that? Why do they think a team with Sam Ehlinger in his first NFL start, a guy that's not thrown a regular season pass in a game in the NFL, will lead a team into tomorrow's game without being at a disadvantage against a team on a two-game win streak? There's one reason more than any other. The odds makers really like the Colts. They have liked the Colts. They liked the Colts last year. They liked the Colts this year, coming into this year with Matt Ryan. They've been favored in four of their seven games, and the games where they weren't favored this year, they were short dogs. They were only a four, four-and-a-half-point dog against the Chiefs a month ago, and they won that game outright. They were only two-and-a-half-point dogs last week at Tennessee with the Titans on a three-game winning streak. The odds makers liked the Colts, and they liked them last year with Wentz, too. Listen to this. The Colts last year were double-digit favorites five times. Five. I mean, that is a category in which only the Chiefs reside. And the Colts last year, with Carson Wentz, were a double-digit favorite five times. They covered, by the way, in three of those. They did not cover in the season finale when they were a 15-point favorite over Jacksonville. Uh, By comparison, if you're curious, Washington has not been a double-digit favorite since 2017 when they were a 12-point favorite over Kyle Shanahan's 49ers. That was year number one for Kyle in San Francisco, and Washington was considered to be a good team. 
Kirk Cousins' final year. They had beaten, if you recall, the Raiders. They had smashed the Raiders on a Sunday night. Um, they had been close to winning at Arrowhead, and that's the last time. It's been five years since Washington was a double-digit favorite. The Colts were a double-digit favorite five times last year. So the odds makers have had this thing for the Colts. Well, why? Um, I think they believe the Colts are well-coached. I think they really like Frank Reich and the staff in Indy. And I think they like the roster, too, whether it was Wentz last year or Ryan this year. Uh, And that's a reason, a big reason, why they aren't downgrading the Colts' prospects this week with a brand-new, you know, never-played-before, green-as-grass quarterback. I think that's the reason more than anything else. I mean, there's another reason, and we'll get to that here momentarily. They think Reich and his staff will figure it out. They also, by the way, think the Colts are better on defense than most think. I think they're right about that. Uh, They're also not super impressed with Washington's two-game win streak over the Bears and the Packers. That's basically it in a nutshell. The odds makers really like the Colts. I think they really like their their coaching staff. I think they're they 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 believe the roster is kind of underrated, uh, with or without you know Wentz, Ryan, etc. Uh, I also think they believe that Washington isn't that good, and that they're not that much better just because they've beaten the Bears and the Packers. Now to what I think if you care. I think the Colts' biggest problem this year, obviously, has been turnovers. 14 of them in their seven games. By far and away, the single biggest reason they are 3-3-1 versus something much better is 14 turnovers, third most in the NFL. Their minus uh, seven turnover margin, minus seven turnover margin, is second worst in the league, only behind New Orleans, who is minus 10 in that category. The the Colts lost one game in convincing fashion. They got blown out by Jacksonville 24-0. They had several key players out for that game. The other two losses were both to Tennessee, but both were winnable, if not for the turnovers. They had three in each game, six total, minus five turnover margin in those two losses. You take away the turnovers, and yeah, I, I get it. You know, if it wasn't for uh if it wasn't for John Wilkes booth, the Lincolns would have had a nice night at Ford's Theater. I get it. You know, if not for Matt Ryan being a turnover machine, um they'd be a lot better. Uh, record-wise, or certainly 4-2-1, and one, worst case. Their offensive line in pass protection has been part of the reason for all of the turnovers. That's been the second biggest issue overall. The quarterback not protecting the ball, but the team's pass pro, which has led to certainly some of the fumbles in particular. Now, with a more mobile option at quarterback, maybe some of those line issues that were partly responsible for for, for many of the turnovers, maybe they can be survived with a guy that can move. Sound familiar? Other than their turnover-prone quarterback and the O-line, which has struggled with pass pro, the Colts are decent. They've got Jonathan Taylor and now Naheem Hines back at running back. Their receivers aren't that bad. Michael Pittman Jr. can play. Big target. Alec Pierce is having a good rookie season. Paris Campbell had 10 catches last week, even if uh, it was just for 70 yards. They've got a a couple of big tight ends in Mo Alley-Cox, and Kylan Granson has sort of emerged here for them this year. They should be better on their offensive line with Quentin Nelson, who I think pound for pound is the best guard in football, and Ryan Kelly, who is certainly one of the more gifted centers in football. But they have struggled as a pass pro unit for sure. Defensively, they're getting Leonard back this week at linebacker. That's a big deal. And they've got talent up front. You know, Buckner, we all know. Stewart's been good inside for them. Quiddy Pay, by the way, is out. That's good news for Washington. Ngakwe has played well for them. Now, he kind of, you know, after those rough years in Minnesota and Baltimore, he played well in Vegas last year. He's off to a decent start this year. I think he's got three and a half or four sacks in seven games. Um, Gilmore's obviously excellent at corner. I wonder, by the way, if the Colts lose tomorrow, if they'll look to trade him before the deadline. A big cap hit for anybody that picks him up. Uh, But there would be a huge market for him uh, if he were made available. But the Colts overall, 
I really think have more good than bad on their roster. This is a tough matchup everywhere, um, but quarterback, you know, that's a big deal, of course. Uh, but it, looking at the Colts roster, you know, they're they're not easy to play. But the quarterback, we don't know a lot about. It's an unknown. I'm not sure what to think of Sam Ehlinger. I have no idea. I don't think any of you do either. You know, he might totally soil himself, you know, with nerves in his first start. Who knows? It happens. He also might be the perfect answer to the pass protection issues the Colts have been having that have made it really hard on Matt Ryan. Uh, Not that he made the situation much better. By the way, Sam Ehlinger's personal story has included a ton of tragedy in recent years. He lost his father. His father was 46 years old when he died of a heart attack in 2013 during a triathlon. And then last year, Ehlinger's brother, younger brother Jake, who was playing linebacker at Texas, died at the age of 20. It was ruled an accidental overdose of Xanax laced with fentanyl. Awful. Um, you know, there's also the owner in Indianapolis right now, which is an interest, interesting story, obviously, from our standpoint, because of what he said about Snyder a week and a half or two weeks ago. Um, but Jim Mersey has become a lot more hands-on. You know, is that working for Indianapolis, for Chris Ballard, their GM, for Frank Reich, the coach, or is it becoming a problem with him being too hands-on when it comes to specifically the quarterback decisions in particular? We'll talk to Zach Kiefer Uh, More about that when he joins us uh, in about 20 minutes. The Colts and its fan base have been so lucky over the years, right? Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck back-to-back. Lots of winning this century. But the situation now for them, you know, really the Luck situation caught him completely off guard, you know, when he retired uh, unexpectedly. But the situation they're in now, total uncertainty at quarterback, you know, because they thought they had it figured out with the trade for Wentz. They thought they had it figured out uh, in the same situation with Matt Ryan. But now, for real, for real, they don't have anything. You know, nearly 25 years, for the most part, of being super stable at quarterback or thinking they were going to be stable at quarterback to it being a total mystery right now. Maybe tomorrow is kind of the beginning of the realization that the Colts are into some sort of rebuilding mode, like into a major, you know, quarterback purgatory situation. Join the club. Uh, I have less of a feeling about tomorrow's game than any other since the opener against Jacksonville. And when I say that, I mean I've had strong feelings here on the show uh, leading up to games on Sunday uh, except for really the opener against Jacksonville. But I've had a, a strong hunch, right or wrong, I had a hunch on what I thought I was going to see uh, in the game. But uh, today, I have no idea. I have no idea what we're going to see tomorrow because of Ehlinger. He's, a, he's the total wild card. So I'll side with the odds makers who are expecting a very tight game decided by something like you know, a home field advantage, three points. I'll take the Colts 20 to 16, covering the number and deflating those in Washington's fan base that think that 500 is kind of a foregone conclusion. I don't think a lot of you feel that way. You shouldn't. But I think some feel like this is a foregone winning conclusion because of the quarterback change. You know, I've picked Washington to either win or lose a super close game since week two. You know, loved them last week plus the four and a half. Put them in the smell test last week. Had them in the smell test, what, against Philly and Dallas too? And then they got lost those, whatever. Um, But I've had this hunch that they would play well and have a chance to win all of these games since week two. Uh, And, you know, it hasn't worked out uh, all the time. Uh, But... Uh, I think tomorrow's a winnable game, too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm going to pick the Colts tomorrow, 20-16. Uh, to 16. I do like the way Washington is playing defensively. I do. No Cole Holcomb tomorrow. He's out. And that will be felt, his loss. But I hope Washington can make Indy one-dimensional by stopping the run again. They've been excellent at that. Number one in the league over the last five weeks in average yards per carry allowed. They're also third in quarterback hits and fifth in total sacks over the last five games. 
The defense, as we've been talking about, is, you know, at the very least playing well. I think they're more than that. I think they're a good defense. We'll know more next week when they face Minnesota. We'll know definitely more the following week at Philadelphia on a Monday night. If the defense plays the way it's been playing against a first-time quarterback, you would think that they would have a good chance to win this game. The formula the formula on offense is simple. Stay ahead of the chains, good down in distance. If they do that, you know, I like Heineke's chances to get the ball out to his playmakers and, you know, perhaps look more like the second half last week and the four-game winning streak last year than what we saw in the first half last week. But the key is running the football, staying balanced, and having really good second and third down distance situations. Uh, if they don't do that, they'll have problems. I think, uh, by the way, tomorrow, field position is going to be a big deal. They have one of the worst punters in the league, Indianapolis does. And Washington has one of the best punting situations in the league. Uh, the return games could matter tomorrow. Hines is really good on punt returns. He is dangerous. Gibson, I think, should be that as well. I think he can be a real difference maker on kickoff returns. Uh, remember Atlanta last year, the game against the Falcons, when DeAndre Carter had a 101-yard kickoff return? I'm pretty sure it was to start the second half. Washington was down 10 in the first half. I think they were down 17-13 to 13 at halftime, and that was a massive play in that game. So, you know, there could be a return, a special teams play. You know, Gibson and Hines, Gibson on kickoff returns, Hines on punt returns. Um, You know, both of those uh, players capable of making a big play. And, of course, turnovers in games that are going to be tightly contested are always big. Washington's only got four takeaways on the year. You know, and two of those are on muffed punts on special teams. Just two on defense, the Derek Forst interception in the opener against Jacksonville and the John Allen interception in the red zone off the deflection on Thursday night, you know, two weeks ago against Chicago. By the way, Washington has not won in Indy since 1994. That was Gus Farratt's first start. North Turner said, I think I am done with Heath Schuler for the time being, and he put his seventh-round pick from Tulsa into the starting lineup, and Gus Farratt played well, and Washington won that game 41-27. to uh, Tomorrow's an interesting game, pivotal game, I think, for both teams as far as this season goes. Washington could be tied for the seventh seed in the NFC wildcard picture with a win. Uh, And it would mark clearly that they, for the time being, have turned around their season with a three-game winning streak and are back in the hunt for a competitive season where, you know, the playoffs will be discussed. A loss, and they're back to two games under 500 with two tough games coming up. Totally different picture with a loss. Indy's going to find out if Sam Ehlinger gives them, with a decent roster around them, a chance to hang in, you know, a bad division race. You know, that division's bad right now. Although I say that, and I I do believe in Tennessee to a certain degree because I think they are a very well-coached team. Uh, A loss for the Colts, you know, and a bad debut for Ehlinger may mean that they'll be an active trade deadline participant, perhaps, at 3-4-1. Uh, by the way, the first of two late 4 o'clock window games for Washington. Uh, they'll play San Francisco on Christmas Eve at 4 o'clock. I guess they could get flexed into that window later in the year. Uh, one more thing before getting to Cooley. Uh, actually, a couple of things. Rumors yesterday about trading Antonio Gibson. I guess Jordan Schultz uh, suggested that teams have reached out to Washington about Antonio Gibson. Um, Rivera shot it down in his presser yesterday. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, but at the same time, I would say that if they aren't believers in Antonio Gibson long-term, and if they really think that Robinson Jr. is the future, you know, primary back, two-thirds of the touches, and they've got McKissick under contract right now, You know, whether it's at the trade deadline or when the season ends, because remember, Gibson will be in the fourth year of a rookie deal next year, they should try to maximize his value. Running backs don't have long careers, as we know. 
So if there's like a lot of interest in Gibson and they don't believe in him being any more than kind of a one-third versus two-thirds touch guy, you know, Robinson getting two-thirds, him getting a third, and I'm not even counting McKissick. Why shouldn't I? He should be getting a lot more touches. You know, if they're not true believers in him, then, you know, A, I think they're wrong because I'm a, I'm a big Gibson fan, and B, I think they should, you know, at least see what's out there. Who knows? Uh, by the way, uh, a couple of other quick things, non-Washington football team related before we get to uh, Cooley. Not a good night for the Wizards. You got to beat an Indiana Pacers team on three days rest. You know, you do. The defense wasn't very good last night. They lost by 10 to Indiana. Uh, and also, that World Series game one was spectacular. The Phillies rallying from five down to win it 6-5-10. and 10. It's been an exciting, I think, Major League Baseball postseason so far. And Philly winning, winning game one as a pretty sizable underdog, you know, I think is a, you know, a sign we're going to see a very long World Series. All right, let's bring in Chris Cooley for a quick hit. He's in town for a wedding, has lots of family and friend obligations. I saw him the other day. We played golf. We hung out. We had dinner. We will do that again, I think, on Monday. Uh, But just quickly, do me a favor. Take us back to Sunday's win over Green Bay and what you thought of Taylor Heineke's performance. Really, the way it looked to me is he really settled down in the second half. And I think... And I think this is normal, you know. He wanted to make some big plays. He wanted to make some big throws early in the game, and he didn't. He turned the ball over a couple times. It wasn't pretty in the first half, but it settled down quite a bit and got the ball out of his hands, got the ball out in rhythm, and made some plays and had some nice drives. Really, the thing with Heineke is he can move, and he can make some plays off script and off schedule. And even that, he can make some plays on schedule, just moving in the pocket. And that was, I think, a huge difference. I think it was a huge boost for them on offense. That line really does struggle. I mean, they are hurting up front. But Heineke, I thought, did a very nice job, which is against a good defense in Green Bay. They are. They're good, especially against the pass. They're good defense. So, And, you know, the other thing I really love, and I think it's super important for them, is Terry McLaurin's involved. And I don't know if that's Wentz not getting the ball to Terry Moore or if it was a point of emphasis through the week to get the ball to Terry Moore. Terry McLaurin is the best receiver on that team. There's not a question. There's not a debate. There's some good players. Samuel's good. You know, Dotson's good. Uh, you want to get the ball spread around to the tight ends a little bit. But Terry McLaurin is the key to that. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, and you didn't mention this, uh, they ran the football, I mean, to the tune of 166 yards, 38 carries. Right, and Gibson was good, too. I, I don't want to sound overly like critical of Brian Robinson Jr. because that's not really what I mean. I just think Gibson is so obviously the better back. Inside the tackles, outside the tackles, in space, not in space, doesn't matter, and he's getting one-third of the touches. Yeah, I don't understand it at all, Kev. It's, he's playing at a fast – he's playing faster, right? So, and and I, I get that you love Robinson. And they draft him in the third round, and they feel really good about it. And keep in mind, it's their guy. It's really their guy. Right. Like, it's not a Kyle Smith pick. But who cares? I mean, let Robinson have the third of the touches and let Robinson figure it out slowly and give the ball to Gibson. I, and, like, we've talked about this a ton, and I think Gibson's grown a ton. And over the last couple of years, there were some big misses as a back, but he wasn't even a back at Memphis. He was a receiver. I think he's really started to figure it out and feel very comfortable. But there's some plays, too, where like there's nothing up front, and he's bouncing it, and he hits it hard out to the right side, and he's getting 11 yards out of out of two. Yeah. So I don't I don't quite get that dynamic. I know that you want Robinson in there because uh, it's clear they're showing that. But Gibson's a better player right now. I think so too. Um, so uh, this weekend, the Colts, you know, benched Matt Ryan. They're going with Sam Ailinger uh, and Zach Kiefer from the Athletics. Going to jump on here with us in a few minutes to to give us sort of why that whole thing came together. The obvious reason is Matt Ryan wasn't playing well enough. You know, what's funny is he actually was pretty good in some fourth quarter big, you know, big drives. But he, you know, he had nine interceptions and eleven fumbles. So. 
he isn't just, you know, injured and out. He's benched, and they're going with a third-string guy from a couple of weeks ago who's never played. So uh, it's it's actually um, sparking a memory right now. Like, there was a stretch there. Do you remember this? Because you were on these teams where you guys played games. I can't even remember some of the quarterbacks against first-time starters a couple of times and really struggled with them. Do you remember any of those? Yeah, there's. I can't remember exactly who it was or what it was, but he, <laughs> yeah, there was a yeah, there was a couple of years where it was like, oh my god, like everyone that comes in is now beating us. <laughs> right, I want to say like there was a Rams quarterback that had not played against uh, you know in the NFL, and he did well. I can't even remember who these quarterbacks were. I'll go back and look, it up, look it up after yeah, the fact. What but, what do you, but what do you do to prepare for a quarterback who's never taken an NFL snap? Right. you got to think of what they're trying to do, who Ellinger is, what, what, what the motives are. And I, I think a lot of it really is that they're not having success with the traditional guy in Matt Ryan and some of the dropback stuff. And if you're going to a third guy in Ellinger who can really move and run, you gotta, you got to imagine, are they going to do a lot more zone read stuff? Are they going to try to move around with the quarterback quite a bit more? And then you just prepare like you're playing Hurts. It's not the first time they're playing a guy like this. And I think that to some extent there's a little bit of a difference now in the NFL. Type of quarterback or a mobile quarterback or a move-around guy, so much more than in 2008. When all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, can this rookie really run? Why are we giving up third and 11 eight times? We didn't believe it. I think you see it so much more in the NFL, and the idea of the running quarterback is completely different. Even even back to the RG3 stuff, like I think he felt the stigma of being a running quarterback. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. <laughs> Let's be the best quarterback we can be, and I think that's more common now, but you also see it more as a defense. And so, I, to me, you're going to look at basic concepts that the Colts have run, and they're, they're not going to change basic concepts in the past game. It's their system. It's their offense. It's the way they run things. So it's going to stay. You, you just got to imagine different ways of getting to a lot of the basic concepts. So as far as the secondary goes and what they're doing on the back end, Washington, a lot of that's going to stay the same. And, and you got to talk about eye discipline you got to talk about alignment assignment stuff to different formations and looks, but you got to imagine there's still two-by-two two sets are still going to have this variety of package. I don't think you're overwhelmed with how to prepare for a new quarterback, especially when you kind of understand what they're going to try to do. Um, so you probably didn't hear this, and I don't think I told you this yesterday. Uh, when Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show this week, which he's on I every week, yeah, okay, so you heard it, where he said, well, they didn't do anything fancy. They just, you know, they rushed four, and that's what they did. I mean, apparently um, there was a stat out earlier this week. Jack Del Rio's never blitzed less. He only blitzed one time on the 47 plays that Green Bay had. Um, he played a four-man front, did nothing fancy, which, by the way, I mean, I don't think Aaron Rodgers, and I said this, I didn't think he was really slighting Washington. It's actually kind of a compliment. And when you can get home with four and you can stop the run without loading the box, that's a good thing. It's just leading me to this, and that is with a quarterback who may be a running quarterback and may not be a good passing quarterback, would you play it straight like you did against Aaron Rodgers and you were successful doing that? You become a very good run-stopping team or would you, you know, be more complex and try to confuse him? It's a really good question, uh, and I think it just depends on down and distance and what you have going on. But for to, to answer your question, for me, early down and distances where you we would expect to get some zone read stuff and some run action stuff. Yeah, I, I just I play format front, play gaps on defense against the run, and I wouldn't try to get guys all over the place. And I would say, if you can beat us this way, you can beat us. But I, I don't think you can. And, and then I'd be a lot more exotic in third down. But I wouldn't bring five and six. I just don't blitz and have a lot of zone packages where it looks like you're rushing six and you're bringing four, but you're dropping guys off different sides. I just wouldn't give them a clean look in third down. Or in known passing situations, I'd never give them a clean look in, in what his protection scheme is. And in doing that, you do have to blitz once or twice. 
and maybe that's one of the first or second, third downs of the game is all of a sudden you're you're showing all out and you're bringing all out. Right. Yes. Then, so he at least the thinks next the next time. All out yeah. You know what I mean? I like I because what I really want to create with with a young quarterback is uncertainty and a feeling of necessity to get rid of the football, and that creates turnovers is what I'm hoping for. Like I want a young quarterback to force things into something he doesn't understand, and I want to try to get two or three turnovers because a guy's beating himself. Right. All right, who do you like? I know you've got a short period of time here. Uh, I think I like Washington. I, I, I like Washington this game. What's the line on this? Indy's a three-point favorite. Man, that's a that's that's why I don't like Washington. <laughs> you told me that yesterday. That is so weird and so scary. You've been trained. Well. I still, I mean, I I like Washington though. <laughs> but other than I don't like hearing that. Uh, the Colts are pretty good on defense. Um, they're getting yep. Shaq Leonard back. Uh, they have, um, you know, th- th- unfortunately for them, they've just turned the ball over way too much on offense. If right. if Ryan, yeah, then Matt Ryan, I mean, in some ways, if, yeah, in some ways, if 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 he had just if if he had half the number of turnovers, that team would be in first place more likely than not in the AFC South, and Matt Ryan would still be quarterbacking it. We'll find out more from Zach Kiefer when he joins us here uh, in a couple of minutes. But I I think Washington's strength right now is a run-stopping team, matches up well with more likely than not what they're going to want to do with Jonathan Taylor and even with the with the quarterback. By the way, I think Hines is a real threat for them, and he, got, he came back last week. Um, yep. it, to me, it, it, it feels like a field position game, a don't make any mistakes kind of a game. You're looking at two quarterbacks that probably mirror each other with one exception, and that is our guy has so much more experience and might be better uh, for all we know. Um, Their punter, by the way, stinks. Just something to throw in there. He's the worst punter in the league, gross average, and he's like 28th in net average. You know, and Tress weighs way up there in net and gross. So punting could be a big deal in this game. And I want to just make this clear. I want to see Antonio Gibson returning kickoffs. If these are returnable kickoffs, he averaged 26 yards per return last week. He is so much better than Dax Milne back there on kickoff returns, and I think he's going to break one. Now, he may fumble this week, uh, and and then we'll be reminded as to why they were looking for another back and they were hesitant to put him back there to begin with on kickoff returns. But 26 yards a return, if these kicks aren't sailing out of the end zone, I'd like to see him bring some out because I think that that, you know, that kind of a play – you know, last year – DeAndre Carter had a 101-yard kickoff return in a game that they won in Atlanta. That was the you know really one of the most exciting games of the year. You know Heineke threw that touchdown pass to McLaurin. Well, you know when he put the ball straight up into the air, McLaurin caught it in the end zone. But the big play to start that second half off, I'm pretty sure it was the third quarter kickoff, was DeAndre Carter taking the kickoff back the distance. Gibson's got that kind of potential. I hope they let him do it more. Uh, and, yeah, I would agree with you. So, you don't have a lot of thought on this game, really. You're you're traveling. You're at a wedding. You're enjoying yourself back. What's it like to be back into your in, into the city that you lived for a long time? Because you haven't been back here in a while. Well, I'm not. I'm in Annapolis. I, I literally have okay. Well, never, like it's hardly in the area. Been. We just drove past the we just drove past the Navy Stadium. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever watched a game there. And I was just saying, man, I, this would be fun to go watch a. Army Navy game. I I don't know, Kev. It's like I it, it I've been gone over two years. It's been almost two years since I've been here. Right. Anywhere here. Uh, I it's been over two years since I've seen you. Uh, it feels like it's been two months. <laughs> I don't know. I have kids. Yeah. And no, I know. So fast. I hate that. I hate. I really do. I hate that it feels like it hasn't been any time at all. But it doesn't. You know, Navy plays at home tomorrow at 3.30, and I know, you know, you've got big plans all weekend long. The wedding that you're going to, I think, is on Sunday. But can I tell you something? First of all, they never play Army at that stadium. You know, the Army-Navy games always, you know, like in Philadelphia or, you know, it's been, you know, at FedEx Field, I think once or twice, New York, L.A., whatever. But I think it's mostly in Philadelphia. But I got to tell you that going to a game at Marine Corps uh, Memorial Stadium in Annapolis is a really cool mm-hmm. thing. It really no, is. I, I- Watched uh, enough on TV, I can tell. Yeah. But 
Um, so I don't know. Drive Rehearsal by it. dinner tomorrow, buddy. Drive by it tomorrow and just you know give everybody okay. a wave. All right. Thanks for jumping on, and I will right, talk buddy. to you. Uh, I will see you for the end of the week. I, I will see you in a couple days. You'll see me in a couple days, and you might. We're not sure yet, but the plan is for you to be a part of Monday's podcast. Yep. 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 The issue uh, is I, the the issue. Of course, about the fact that I probably am not watching the game. <laughs> exactly, because you got a wedding to go to, but. You know, you could you could do that thing where you get up Monday morning and quickly watch the condensed replays that take about thirty five minutes to go through the condensed. You know, the condensed. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I can just come over there and hang out, and there you ah, go. I can't wait for that. That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> I can't wait either. All right, see ya. Thanks. Cooley, everybody. Uh, I will get him on Monday and get him to watch the condensed version of the game. He's more coachable than you might think. Unless you've been out playing golf and drinking with him for much of the day. And then he becomes kind of, he's got a childlike whimsy to him, as Michael Scott might say. Uh, Let's find out more about the Colts with Zach Kiefer from The Athletic next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Don't forget to rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify if you get a chance. Uh, Zach Kiefer is the Athletics beat reporter for the Indianapolis Colts. He jumps on with us right now. The headline of the week in Indy, Zach, obviously was Matt Ryan benched Sam Ehlinger, the new quarterback for the game uh, tomorrow. How much of this move, when it was announced earlier this week, was a surprise to all of you that are kind of living the day-to-day of Indianapolis Colts football? Well, it's twofold, Kevin. It, it didn't catch me by surprise because it was weeks in the making. This was, this was weeks in the making. The offense has been really bad. The offensive line has been horrendous. You guys know a little bit about that in Washington. Matt Ryan didn't really have a fair chance in one regard because the line was so bad and the the run game has disappeared. They're 30th in the league, and they have Jonathan Taylor, and it doesn't make sense. But at the same time, he didn't help himself. 11 turnovers, nine interceptions, just been brutal. But it's stunned the players. I cannot express to you how much disappointment and shock went through this locker room this week as they processed the fact that Matt Ryan has lost his job. And it's not to say they don't love Sam Ellinger, because Sam Ellinger is, is an absolute... He's a dude, man. Like he's he's a great human being. Now, can he play football as a starting quarterback in the league? We're gonna find out, but odds are long. But I think both things can be true. They love Sam Ellinger, and, and and they're excited to see what he can do, and maybe he can give a little bit of a spark to this offense. But these guys were crushed. These guys were shocked. These guys were stunned that they are moving on from Matt Ryan just seven games in, when it's very obvious that he is not the only problem. So the question begs. Who made this decision? Was it Ursay or was it Collective? Or, you know, who, who ended up being the, the cause for, for pulling Matt Ryan this early, despite all the turnovers, which were a big issue, I understand? Yeah, they're going to say it was a collective decision. They're going to say that it was Jim Ursay and Chris Ballard and Frank Reich in a room Sunday night after the loss to the Titans, making this unilaterally. But let's be honest, this is the second time in a row the owner has had his say in a quarterback decision, the last being the one that led Carson Wentz to Washington right after that Jacksonville game 
in in January, excuse me, you know, he basically said, under no circumstances will Carson Wentz be the quarterback of this team next year. That puts the wheels in motion for Carson to be traded to Washington and the Colts to, you know, they didn't move on from Carson or Matt Ryan. They moved on from Carson and then began a quarterback search. And that led them to Matt Ryan. But after this Titans game, it was made very clear to Frank Reich and Chris Ballard that this was the move that they needed to make. And I think Chris Ballard probably agrees to some extent because he wants to find out what they have in Sam Ellinger. And also, it's very obvious that this offense is going nowhere and they need something. So maybe Sam Ellinger gives them something. But it's the second time in a row the owner has had some level of input on a quarterback change. You know, so there's been so much conversation. Obviously, these two teams are linked as it relates to Carson Wentz and and that trade and, um, you know, the the conversation back, you know, before the season started about Jim Mercer's influence. Bottom line, though, I mean, unless you feel differently, if your quarterback is a really good quarterback in this league, you don't get rid of him, period. So there had to be more than just the owner saying, I don't like them. I want to move on from them because they lost to Jacksonville. I mean, what did Ballard and what did Reich think? I think there's been a lot of conversation about that since the trade. That's a good question. I've been asked that no less than 100 times since the move, and it's it's kind of hard to explain, but I'll do my best. He just wasn't the guy. And, And I know that's vague, and I know that doesn't really answer it, um, he, I think they just figured this out. They said, he's not the guy, and we're not going to run it back and see if it gets any better. I think last season and the way last season ended, and I don't mean the last two games, I mean the last six weeks, where they didn't trust him to throw the ball because, because they couldn't, and they had to lean so heavily on the run game, which made them one-dimensional. And, and, and he just, you know, he didn't, he didn't have the whole locker room behind him. I think I can say that. You know, he's, there were some teammates that loved Carson, for sure. But there were some that didn't. And, and I think that played into it as well. Um, but it, it's hard to sort of quantify and it's hard to explain. I, I'm not a player on the team, but they just didn't feel like he was the guy. And they just pulled the plug after one season. And, you know, let's say they missed on Carson once. That's the quote. They missed on Matt Ryan, too. So both things can be true at the same time. They're 0 for 2 in their last Yeah, I mean, I I guess what I was getting at, and I think you kind of answered it, is there is this impression that this was just the owner saying, no, I'm done with Carson Wentz, and Frank Reich and Chris Ballard were pushing back and saying, well, wait wait, wait a minute. Yeah, okay. You said something earlier, implied something earlier that I just want to circle back to because it's all part of this conversation about, you know, Wentz and now, you know, Matt Ryan and neither one of them working out. But you said that the reaction from the players uh, was one of real kind of disappointment and surprise. Uh, why? You know, the players' words and their emotions and their, and their faces this week told the story. Like, and we weren't in the locker room after the Carson Wentz trade happened last year, right? So, that was the offseason. But, like, Ryan Kelly's the center, and he's like, dude, I've played through – I've had eight quarterbacks now. And I know you guys are used to that in Washington, but when you live in a city that had Peyton Manning for 14 years sure. and Andrew Luck for seven, they're not used to this kind of quarterback change. And, look, they're tired of spinning in circles at this position. They're tired of rent a QB where you just find someone off someone else's scrap heap and try to make it work. It's exhausting. It's exhausting for these players, and they can't – they can't beat the Titans, and the Titans have a, a pretty mediocre quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. But the thought is, if the Colts had a mediocre quarterback that was here for four years, they might have a couple of division titles to show for it because they have a lot of talent around them. But it, it's hard to really understand Matt Ryan this season because he's led four fourth-quarter comebacks. He's led three game-winning drives. He's, been, he's literally been Matty Ice in the fourth quarter. He's been lights out. However... The reason they're behind in those fourth quarters is because he keeps turning the football over. So his hands are dirty as well, and he didn't help himself. But he's a tough dude, and, and, and in terms of leadership stuff, like that's all there. Like that's all there. The way this, they talk about him as a leader, these are the players, these are not me saying that. The way the coaches and players talk about him as a leader, they said he was on par in that quarter category with Peyton Manning and with Andrew Luck. Now, he's not the same quarterback as those two, but – 
you know, that's sort of the bar around here. And, and they didn't say that about Carson Wentz last year. So I guess maybe that's a difference. But, look, I mean, Carson didn't turn over the football like Matt Ryan did. And Carson avoided sacks in a way that, that Matt Ryan can't. So it's really messy, and there's a lot of gray area. But um, for sure the players were stunned and shocked when they heard this news on Monday. All right, let's uh, not dwell on the past because it didn't work out for either team. It, it certainly doesn't appear as if it's worked out right. for Washington. Um, so let's right. focus on Sunday. What should we, what should you guys expect from the Indianapolis offense with Sam Ehlinger as the quarterback? I can't wait to see what they do. I don't think it's going to be pretty, but it's going to be something <laughs> different. And and like I mentioned, like Sam Ellinger, he's a sixth-round pick with a mediocre arm. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves and, and like, you know, let's let's be real here. But there's a, he's a gamer, man. He's he's a tough kid, and and he's lived through a lot in his life that I think will prepare him well for this moment. He lost his father, he lost his brother, and 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 that sort of made him what he is. He started as a freshman at the University of Texas. That's not a small thing. But you're asking schematically, what are they going to do? They're going to roll him out. They're going to run naked in boots, and they're going to get him on the run. And he can run. He can he can make stuff happen. And I think if you're the Colts and this goes well, which it probably won't, the byproduct would be maybe you get this run game going. Like I mentioned, I, I have no idea how in the world you have a roster with Jonathan Taylor on it. And I know he's been hurt for two games, but it hasn't been any different when he's in there. How does the roster with Jonathan Taylor rank 30th in the league in rushing right now? It makes no sense to me, but I could answer that question. Well, he saying, missed some games. Line. He missed some games, right? Yeah, but 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 even when he's in there, it, it's almost like he's a non-factor. Right. And, and it's not because he's taking a step back, because this is, and I know Commanders fans would argue with me, this is probably the worst offensive line in the league. It looks like that to me. But when I have watched the Commanders, they can make a good case for that as well. It looks like Carson has been under siege all season. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what we get. I am curious about one thing. Why why Ailinger and not Nick Foles? Yeah, totally valid question. And we asked that same question to Frank Wright this week and, and sort of got the, we think this is best for the team. My guess, and this is just me talking, my guess is that Nick Foles is just a, a JV version of Matt Ryan. They're the same guy, right? Same quarterback. Ellinger is the unknown. Ellinger is different. Ellinger can move around in the pocket, and he has gotten a lot better from where he started last year. You know, in terms of training camp and what we saw, and I, he's he's a spark. He's a chance. He's something different. And I think if you moved to Nick Foles, you're going to get the same thing. And, and this offensive line can't protect anybody right now. So Nick Foles wasn't going to be able to avoid any of the sacks that Matt Ryan could not avoid. So at least with Ellinger, you've got a guy who can run and make stuff happen. And, and they want to see what they have. Because if they don't have something in Sam Ellinger, that makes the emphasis even more obvious. You need to draft a quarterback in round one in the spring. How good of a defensive team is Indy? So with the defense, that's really the sad part right now. They've played really well, but no one's talking about it because it's not the number one issue right now. And, you know, the offense is only averaging five points a game in the first half. They've been down 13 points or more to every single AFC South team they've played. That's five teams in seven games. And the defense has been really good, but it doesn't matter because the offense can't score consistently. So, um, they've got the 29th scoring offense in the league. You know, the defense with Buckner and Grover Stewart up front, Stephon Gilmore, Shaq Leonard's going to be back on Sunday. That's not the problem. So they will make things difficult for Taylor Heineke, but the, the issue is, is all on one side of the ball right now for Indianapolis. All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, two things. Number one, what was the reaction in Indianapolis when the owner went after Dan Snyder publicly? You know, it wasn't that much of a surprise. People in Indianapolis know that Jim Mercer says what he wants. Jim Mercer has no interest in, in caring about any type of backlash. And, you know, in Indianapolis, the, the focus isn't necessarily on the commanders. It's on the fact that the Colts don't have a quarterback right now. Right. But um, I, I think there was a lot of applause and respect for a guy saying what a lot of owners don't have the guts to say. All right, finishing up with Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. Uh, Indy's a three-point favorite, Zach, tomorrow at home with Sam Ehlinger, quarterback, a surprise to many. What are you expecting in the game? Yeah, I'll be honest. I was stunned by that. I, I, I do think the Colts will have some juice. The quarterback move should 
I'm just excited to see the first 15 plays. What are the Colts scripts up for Sam Ellinger? Um, I'm picking Washington to win. Heineke is a better version of Sam Ellinger, in my opinion. Um, I like, you know, McLaurin's an indie guy. I've always liked his skill set. They're going to be able to move the ball a little bit better, I think. Um, the Colts might get a couple chunk plays with Ellinger's legs, but scoring points in the red zone is going to be totally different. I mean, the Colts are not naive to this, but Ellinger lighting up the Detroit Lions third stringers in preseason is not equivalent to doing it <laughs> no. against the one against Washington on Sunday in October. So I've got the Washington Commanders winning this one, but it's going to be fun. And to be honest, I'm really excited. Maybe not excited. I'm really interested to see what they do with this kid because he has some limitations. He does not have an elite arm. And how are they going to script this playbook to attack a defense? And there's going to be some unknown with the commanders and what they expect from Ellinger, but I've got, I've got the commanders winning this one. Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, I mean, Phillip Rivers for the one year. I mean, you guys had a chance to beat Buffalo in that playoff game. Uh, and now you're where everybody else is for the most part. Um, looking for uh, the answer. Uh, join the club. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate yeah, it. Enjoy the game Sunday. Thanks, Kevin. At Z Kiefer on Twitter. Smell test and Tim Murray next to finish up the show. All right, let's finish up the show with some sports gambling talk, my smell test, and some college football discussion. Uh, And we're going to do that with my good friend, Tim Murray. I recorded this interview with Tim yesterday. Tim uh, is the co-host of VEASAN's primetime show with former Tampa Bay quarterback Sean King. Aaron Oster, who produces this podcast, also produces uh, their show as well as other shows uh, at the VEASAN Network. They both live out in Las Vegas now. Tim and I talk all the time all week long about the various games uh, on the board uh, during football season. And we both looked at this week's board and I think fell in love with a ton of games. Now, I will tell you, my smell test will have 12 games in it, six college picks, six pro picks, uh, but there were a lot of games uh, that were of interest. So that's where we started the conversation yesterday, Tim and I talking about a board that seemed like it had a lot to it. Oh man! Well, I you know I'll just say this: I was uh, I was watching your guy Van Pelt last night, who obviously you you two are kind of the originators of the smell test. He does winners, you do the smell test, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching all these picks, and I'm like, I have every single one of these games. <laughs> I haven't on my I card. haven't seen his thing yet, so I don't know who he has. But <laughs> we usually have similar games, but not always. Not always. Yeah. No, he doesn't normally do the favorites. Uh, we'll we'll yeah. dabble in the favorites. You and I will. Yeah. Uh, but this week for me, I don't know about you, but it's very underdog heavy. Uh, and there's some ones where you kind of, as uh, as uh, one of the gifts we'll send each other, is hold on to your butts, Samuel L. Jackson and Jurassic Park. There's a couple of those this week. So uh, I'll run down quickly, and I'll see uh, what, what you've got there. Uh, I like Notre Dame this weekend, and that's not a homer pick. I think that's a little fishy. Uh, I like West Virginia uh, plus the seven and a half. Uh, Cal plus the 17 against Oregon. Uh, Louisville, that is suspiciously short against Wake Forest. Uh, so I took four with Louisville. Uh, Texas A&M, that might be the fishiest line of the whole weekend. Uh, Texas A&M plus two. And uh, and Missouri is, a, is an interesting spot, too. So uh, those are some of the games that I have. Uh, and then I also have a little bit on Kentucky uh, against Tennessee and maybe a little bit of a look-ahead spot. But, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating weekend where I think the casual college football fan, Kevin, would look at it and say, eh, you know, Ohio State's a big favorite against Penn State. Michigan's a big favorite over Michigan State. Tennessee's a big favorite over Kentucky. I think this weekend has the makings of some, I don't want to say carnage up top, but I think there's going to be some really fascinating results when it's all said and done on Saturday night. So, you know what, I wasn't planning on doing this, but you don't mind. Uh, I'm just going to do my no, smell go test. I'm going to do my smell test with you because it's more fun to do it with somebody else. So, uh, Aaron, if you'll hit the sounder. <laughs> Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for, for the, the smell, smell test. test. <laughs> so, there were so many games this week that really fit the bill. I gave out Tampa. Um, on the podcast yesterday is an early. I played. Smell test I'll, I'll say this. Yeah, I sent you my. I sent you my picks 
And, uh, you know, on my show last night, I played Tampa as well. So maybe not a good omen. I did have Washington State. I liked, uh, so I liked I them. One and one. I liked them and Virginia Tech last night and did not play either one of them. So uh, that was not good for me. Um, I did play Tampa for size last night. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> and I and I was I was with our uh, our good friend Chris Cooley, who's in town, and we played golf together. And he was on the podcast a few minutes ago, and um, we uh, we ended up uh, going out to dinner, and we had a few pops and. Uh, I was excited with the Tampa start. They were up 10-3 and uh, went to halftime 10-3. And then, then they couldn't get off the field with that defense, which makes no sense to me. But so, yeah, this is um, – we'll, we'll finish up with just some overall big-picture uh, college football thoughts. But I like your Irish, too. Uh, the line reeks. It's short. Uh, Syracuse, I think, got robbed last, last week at Clemson. Um, and it's upsetting to me because I just don't think Clemson's a very good team uh, relative to the really good teams. And yet now their path to the playoff uh, looks pretty easy for them. I guess, you know, they could trip up in an ACC championship game against North Carolina. Uh, but we'll see. Um, I like uh, Syracuse by the half point, get it to three. I think Louisville's – Notre Dame. What did I say? You said Syracuse. I meant uh, Notre Dame. I meant Notre Dame. Yes, the Fighting Irish by the half point get it to three. That line short. Uh, Maybe Syracuse has kind of a letdown because they were they were on a roll. That game's at the Carrier Dome, and you know the Irish are are hit and miss. Um, I think they'll score points Mm -hmm. and and have a chance to win that game outright. The Wake Forest line reeks to high heaven. I don't know why a team that actually is within you know a play or two from being undefeated and being talked about as a potential college football playoff team. Their only loss was in double overtime to Clemson, fifty-one to forty-five. And they're only giving three and a half at home against Louisville. I'll take the cards there. Uh, I've I've had Iowa a couple of times this year, and it's worked out. I don't know how they should be a favorite of by uh, uh, by ten points over anybody. This is one of the worst college football offenses in Power Five college football that we've ever seen. Not only are they laying ten to Northwestern, Northwestern played well last week, and Northwestern's losses, for the most part, except against Wisconsin, have all been competitive losses. I know that they didn't play Leah last week; they they played Maryland's backup quarterback, but they had the lead in that game, and they had a chance to win that game. I was going to win this game like nineteen to three or something like that, or <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe it'll be maybe it'll be like thirteen to nothing. Um, but they're laying too many points. I'm going to take Iowa and lay the 10. Uh, what were you going to say? I was going to say, do you remember uh, – by the way, that lines up to 11 and a half now. So oh, well, uh, uh, you know, when I, when I gave it out on radio this morning, it was 10. So there you I, go. Uh, you know, sometimes you benefit from it, sometimes you don't. Shit. Why well, did you, why did you have to tell everybody that? I didn't see the 11 and a half. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> uh, what was it? It was uh, week two or week three, I remember – Iowa was playing Nevada, yeah. and everyone was like, oh, my God, this is too many points. I think it was in your smell test. I they gave, were laying like 23. I gave out the final score 27 to 3, and it was 27 to nothing. Um, <laughs> so I like Iowa. I like Arizona getting 15 and a half against yep. SC. Arizona can really score, and SC can't stop anybody. I like Colorado. Uh, I'll buy that half point and get it to 14 against Arizona State. I think under two touchdowns, they're really trying to get you to lay the points. I love Pitt against Carolina catching three. That line is way too short. That doesn't make any sense. That game's in Chapel Hill. Pitt's plus uh, – take the, the Panthers plus three. So that's it for college. Those six picks, Notre Dame, Louisville, Iowa, Arizona, Colorado, and Pitt. Um I do like some of the games you you gave out. Texas A&M being one of them. I just I I think they're awful and I think there's a problem there with Jimbo Fisher right now. K-State's interesting to me too, but I don't know what the quarterback situation is. I like your Missouri and West Virginia. I'll probably play those um personally. NFL had a bunch of games this weekend. The Broncos once again are, you know, a major uh, anti-public side and 
I'm going to take that dork, Russell Wilson, and the Broncos and buy the half point and get it to three in the London game early. Uh, the Saints are definitely an anti-public side, catching a point and a half at home against the Raiders. I like the Lions. I had them last week. I actually felt like they were the right side the entire game against Dallas. They were up 6-3. to three. They had a bunch of uh, drives where they moved the ball. They had a first and goal at the one and turned it over. Um, they're playing playing Miami. Uh, Miami, obviously, um, off that Sunday night game, uh, which was not pretty. I mean, Leah could have been uh, uh, Leah. Uh, Tua could have been picked four or five times in that game, it seemed like. I'll take the Lions plus three and a half. The Texans are a short dog against the Titans, who have won four in a row. By that half point, get it to three. Uh, I like the Browns on Monday night, and then I like the Colts, people. The public is backing Washington. I know I have had them several times, and a couple of times, like last week, it's worked out. I had them against Green Bay, Timmy, last week, plus the four and a half. I've actually really liked Washington going back to the Detroit game. Uh, and ha- they haven't been in the smell test every week, but they've been in it enough. Uh, I like Indy, though, this week, laying the three. Um, I think they win, you know, like a 20-16 to 16 kind of a game. Uh, you had Tampa last night. Were there other NFL games you're on? I'm on the Patriots. I I'm like them, the too. Jets again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think about what we saw last. National stage, they got their ass kicked. They've got controversy at the quarterback position. Jets are 5-2, and two, and yet the Patriots are a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Uh, so, yeah, to me, that fits the billing of, of what we like to do. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say this. You know, last week I got my butt kicked because I had uh, – I faded the Jets. I faded the Giants. Both of those didn't come home, right. so I started with the Bucks this week. So um, I've been uh, I've kind of been tempered uh, on the NFL front. Um, you know, one game I mentioned my game uh, before you went into the smell test. One game I think I'm going to add is that is that Pitt and UNC game. I, I agree. I, I think that line is very fishy. And I'll say this: I, I just I don't believe in this UNC team whatsoever. And uh, you know, they should have lost to Duke. Uh, Notre Dame smoked them. Obviously, they had that game early on in the year against Appalachian State uh, that they were fortunate to win. So, um, yeah, I, I think Pitt is, is a live dog, you know, and I think that line is pretty short. Uh, the public will probably see it as a, as a team on sale in North Carolina. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, probably add Pitt to my uh, pit to my card there. Yeah, I've just been on the wrong side of them a bunch this year, but um, I, I, you know, Pitt just seems right. All right, I, I, I got. I want to just finish with this. To me, there are two locks right now. Clemson, and I guess the South Carolina game could be interesting, and I guess Drake May can really you know, play and can put points on the board. But right now, to me, it looks like Clemson, the Ohio State-Michigan uh, winner, the Tennessee-Georgia winner are three locks for the playoff. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a fair way to put it. I've been saying, I said last week, that Clemson was going to get in, and uh, I, I think they're just going to fall in line of you know teams we've seen get their butt whipped in, in the playoff in years past, whether it be Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Michigan, et cetera. I think that's what this team is. I don't think they're that great, as you alluded to, uh, but the pathway, you know, they're off this week. They have a bye week heading into Notre Dame. Notre Dame is very up and down, has played very poorly at home, um, so I don't, you know, and I think the matchup, you know, we picked Notre Dame this week, I think the matchup this week for Notre Dame is advantageous. They can run the ball. They can uh, emphasize that offensive line against Syracuse's 3-3-5 front, but they can't do that against Clemson. So I think the matchup is poor for Notre Dame next week against Clemson. And uh, I don't believe in UNC, as, as I said before. South Carolina, I think they lose this weekend to Missouri. I think that box score is very misleading in their upset win over Texas A&M last weekend. So, yeah, I think Clemson kind of strolls on in uh, to the playoffs. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State are really good, but unfortunately only one's probably getting in because they're in the same division. And then the SEC is the big wild card. You know, if Tennessee loses to Georgia next week and they're 11-1, and does Alabama have an opportunity to get in at, you know, 12-1 and if they win the SEC championship? So I think there's still possibilities for, you know, a Pac-12 team if Oregon runs the table, which is interesting considering they started the season the way that they did with that yeah. 46-point loss. Right. Or... I mean, hell, USC, if they run the table from here on out, I mean, a one-point road loss uh, is, is not going to be that bad at the end of the day if they're able to run the table, which I don't, I'm don't. i not ultra-convinced with that defense. But 
I think we have the possibilities. I'll say this, Kevin. I do have Kentucky this week. I am terrified of that game because that offense is the real deal, man. They are so, so prolific. Yeah, I mean, so we're in agreement. Obviously, things change. I mean, Tennessee could lose to Kentucky, and then they could beat Georgia. I mean, there's so much that that happens, and we we, we get ahead of ourselves every year at this point before they even uh, even put out the first, uh, you know, college football playoff poll, which comes on Tuesday. But I think that if if we think of Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Clemson, Georgia, Tennessee winner, regardless of what they do in the SEC title game, then it's, yeah. you know, there's there's an SEC West possibility. By the way, LSU with two losses would be the one team right now if they ran the table that would be very interesting. TCU I just don't see running the table, which they'd have to do. I think there are multiple opportunities for them to lose. But I am with you on Oregon because the eye test they pass every time I watch them, and week one's always ahead for fake it is you know it's a jarring loss to lose to Georgia 49 to 3 if you end up being in the playoff to have a 49 to 3 loss but it was all the way back on Labor Day weekend and Oregon's been rolling ever since I know they had to come from behind to beat Washington State and Pullman but they're the team to me that really does pass the eye test much more so than USC and I'm not saying that they you know they may not you know play USC in in the in the Pac-12 championship game and 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 lose, um, but they're just I think a, a really good team, which is surprising to me because I'm I, I did not think Bo Nix was a good quarterback. Yeah, to, to kind of echo your sentiment on Oklahoma, uh, on Oregon, I, I think that if they run the table, they still have Utah, they still have Washington, they could potentially play USC. I think the strength of schedule will be there. I think the Pac-12, in my eyes, will actually be looked at in a positive light uh, in the committee's mind, and then you know TCU. You know, give them tons of credit. Sonny Dykes has, has done a phenomenal job, but I, I'm just not buying in on them totally yet. I mean, they've been very fortunate, Kevin. Yeah, 17 uh, and 18 point deficits. Yeah. I mean, you know, last week they were playing. I had Kansas State. They were down 18, and, and they end up getting a third-string quarterback out there for K-State. So TCU's done a really good job. Uh, but I think this year I almost feel like the Pac-12 – or sorry, the Big 12, Kevin – is kind of like the Pac-12 in recent years, where I think the Big 12 ultimately is just going to eat itself. And I think Texas, who kind of keeps finding ways to lose, at the end of the day, they're probably the most talented team in that conference. So I think, you know, Texas TCU still has to play. I think they cannibalize themselves. And I don't think the Big 12 is really going to be a, uh, a thought in, in, the, in the playoffs' eyes. I think the interesting one to keep an eye on is, is the Pac-12 and is – Oregon and USC, is that a de facto quarterfinal game, you know, come early December in Las Vegas? Uh, Honestly, I kind of hope so. I I really do. I kind of hope that we do get a little new blood in there. Uh, Oregon hasn't been in in a while, and and USC's never been in the playoffs. At one Tim Murray on Twitter, Tim hosts uh, the primetime show on Vizen Live with former Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback Sean King. Thanks. I'll talk to you this weekend, I'm sure. All right, Kevin, see you. All right, that is it for this show. Uh, Back on Monday, hopefully with Cooley to recap Washington, Indy, and the rest of your football weekend.